0: Hey everyone, Jared Santo here, GoTimes producer. This episode is a bit different than what you're used to, but hopefully it feels familiar as well. We are helping our friends at Grafana Labs produce a podcast all about observability. It's called Big Tent and it's hosted by Matt Toback, Tom Wilkie, and GoTimes very own Matt Ryer. So, today on GoTime, we're featuring episode 6 of Grafana's Big Tent, where both the Matts talk with Nayana Shetty from Lego Group all about observability strategies that work. GoTime returns to its regularly scheduled programming next week when Ron Evans travels back from 2053 to warn Matt and Natalie all about Go's future.
1: Okay, Grafana's Big Tent. Here we go. This episode is brought to you by Chronosphere. When it comes to observability, teams need a reliable, scalable, and efficient solution so they can know about issues well before their customers do. They need a solution that helps them move faster than the competition. And companies born in the cloud native era often start with Prometheus for monitoring, which is obviously an amazing piece of software, but they quickly push it to its limits and often outgrow it. They run into issues with siloed data, missing long-term storage, and wasted engineering time firefighting the monitoring system versus delivering their application with confidence. They describe the system as a house of cards, where a single developer's seemingly benign change can overload the whole monitoring system, or they say they're flying blind because they pride themselves on making data-driven decisions, but losing visibility means they lose this competitive edge. Ryan Sokol, VP of Engineering at DoorDog, Dash has this to say about Chronosphere. Quote: The visibility and control the Chronosphere's platform gives us to manage our observability data and costs are a game changer, especially with our unprecedented growth. End quote. Chronosphere is the observability platform for cloud native teams operating at scale. Learn more and get a demo at Chronosphere.io. Again, Chronosphere.io
2: Let's do it. It's go time.
3: Hello, and welcome to Grafana's Big Tent, the podcast all about the people, community, tools, and tech around observability. I'm joined today by, it's only Matt Toback. Hello, Matt. Hi, Matt. What do you mean, only? Yeah, no, it's just understated, isn't it? Just I can't believe it's you, really, oh. in a lot of ways.
2: You could say, it's how you say it,
3: it's not what you say You it. say, I can't believe it's you. You're here. Oh, right. Okay. I can't believe it's, I can't believe it's
2: you. Oh, you're like, you're here. <laughs> you're here.
3: Yeah. Well, don't worry. It's not just me and you. That would be obviously tiresome for both of us. We have a uh, special guest joining us today. That would be tiresome for both of us. Thank you. It's how you say it. You're right. <laughs> Today we're joined by uh, Niana Shetty from Lego. Hello, Nayana.
4: Hi, Matt and Matt. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, just one would suffice. We'll share it. Happy to share. <laughs> um, and you are a principal engineer who loves talking about SRE in microservices, right?
4: Yes. Yeah. Um, I think over the years I've been in teams where we've built microservices and it's when you scale up and have hundreds of microservices, how do you then make them reliable and keep them reliable? That's what I'm mm. interested in. And yeah. Uh it's been uh so I was working at the Financial Times where we had all of these hundreds of microservices and how do we manage it there? And now I've moved to the Lego group where we're going through a massive digital transformation. And here it's like we want to build these hundreds of microservices. So should we care about reliability now or can we think about it in like 10 years time when we have these microservices? Uh So yeah, that is my context to how site reliability, microservices, all of this fit together.
3: Yeah, because it did used to be a kind of afterthought really, didn't it? Which is why I think SRE, I think it's short for sorry, right? (laughs)
4: Mm, that's one way of looking at it or like um, (laughs) I always think of it like sorry I don't understand why people don't think about site reliability in the first instance or sorry I don't understand why people would build this in such a way that it is like half broken or like you don't think about the future of this product uh, and you are very close to reinventing the wheel every few months if you went in that direction so yeah sorry is probably one of the ways of looking at it
2: (laughs) (laughs) Just even on a personal note, I'm excited that Naina is here and joining us because we met in 2018 for the first time in an attic in Amsterdam. Which, when said that way, doesn't feel weird at all, right? <laughs> um, I
4: mean, uh, we were talking loads of monitoring, uh, Grafana and Graphite and all of those things. So yeah, attic didn't make a difference then. So okay.
2: <laughs> but it was it was wild because we did we planned GrafanaCon EU in 2018, which is our was technically our third graphonicon, but was kind of our biggest up to that point and the most what felt what felt well produced and it was in the middle of an arctic chill do you remember that that the canals had frozen over
4: yes yeah i had struggles getting back home and like it took me two hours where it should have probably taken me only like half an hour to get home so yeah i oh, completely remember that
2: <laughs> and we we're in this stage where uh, Tom had just joined the company we announced it on stage the acquisition of causal the entire company fit on stage it was 25 people like when we said kind of goodbye at the end there's still this photo that circulates here where everyone is just kind of shoulder to shoulder and the stage take you know is the whole company and I but I do remember you you stand out to me us being up there kind of in that breakout room talking about what you were trying to do at the financial times and and it does it feels like you kind of continued in this natural progression in this natural journey and like when you think back to you then, how did you see the world?
4: Um, at that point, we we were investigating, like we had quite a lot of monitoring tools uh, at the Financial Times and I was like, uh, and I was working in the team that uh, provided monitoring as a service to other teams. And my head was going mad thinking, okay, how do I as a team with like four or five engineers be able to support like these 20, 30 odd engineering teams who all want monitoring uh, and they're using from Nagios to uh, Zabbix, some Graphite, some started, I I think there were very few uh, installations of Prometheus at that point. And I was like, how do we get all of these different use cases together? And how, how do we get them on a platform which could work together? And it made me like, I was worried at that point and like, three years later or four years later looking at it it's like, you're
2: still worried no <laughs> i mean
4: i have moved on from the financial times, so i'm less worried about the financial times uh, monitoring systems but i still worry about like the same use case i i see it here as well in the lego group where there's different monitoring tools that we've got across the organization and it's how do we get them all together and like how do we say a single story that everyone could understand rather than every single team trying to solve the same problem. So it's still very similar, but probably we have better tools and like processes in place that can help us. So that's how I see it.
3: Yeah, something you said earlier stood out. This this idea that you, you're like, why did you build it like this? If only you'd built it differently, we'd be in a much better position now.
2: So it kind of like... If, if you only did it right, is that what you're saying? Well,
3: yeah, but that's the question. Like, when should we start caring about this stuff? When should we start worrying about how are we going to operate this?
4: Uh, I think this kind of relates to like how I've moved in the journey in my career and stuff. So uh, I started off as a test engineer, just, doing some manual testing, then moved on to doing more QA, like more quality related things rather than just testing. Uh, And Hmm. over the years, uh, I've seen the transition in a lot of organization as well, where they've moved uh, moved to this shift left and uh, test early, like uh, release as small as possible and continuous iterations and stuff. So all of this, I think, kind of leads to that point of like, how do you make... Your future better like and one of the quotes I have often used is being kind to your future self like how can you make your life easy in the future so that think about that today when you're building whatever you're building and that comes with if you're building a new product think about do you even have to build it or like can you just look at what's in the market and reuse it if it's a non-differentiating thing then why build it? Mm. If it is a differentiating thing, yes, put your heart and soul into it. But then when you're doing it, make sure you think about the sustainability aspects of your product and not just today what the customer would get. Yeah, and it's like, I've often used this carrot and stick kind of approach in teams to say, show the benefits of what you could get out of thinking about monitoring observability from the uh, up front. And usually the carrots are like, You build it in the right way, then you don't have, you can actually forget about your systems because they will take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the stick approach is often, if you didn't do it, then you have to go into the rotors or like all of those other things that comes with like making your systems more observable and keeping it sustained once it's up and running and stuff. So yeah, I think that's what I've used in the past to actually help teams nudge in that direction and stuff. So yeah.
3: Mm yeah yeah i mean you know i I would be kind to my future self but i'm too busy dealing with all the stuff that my past self left me to do so (laughs) i don't know but yeah i think so that's the thing if you think about how it's going to be where it's going to be running like the realities of that if you think about that the earlier the better almost isn't it so yeah
4: it is that and it's also that yes you are fixing things from yesterday but if you don't fix it and leave some goodies along with it Mm -hmm. then you're fixing tomorrow you're fixing today's problem so you're still in that vicious cycle so to get away from that vicious cycle I think you need to actually like step back sometimes and put that extra effort I I remember one of the tech principles we had uh, in the financial times uh, for ft.com was uh, I've forgotten this it's okay.
2: No, it's okay. As we're talking about, you know, like the past self and future self, is it okay that I've completely forgotten about observability and, and now I'm just on a personal journey and, and I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking about all the decisions made and yet to make and, <laughs> and, and how to provide goodies for, for everyone? Naina, or for me, I don't know. I forget that part. But Naina, the carrot and stick, can I ask you, right? Is there been a stick that you've seen people try to use that was, that just didn't work? Right. Or 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 not didn't work, but either was too uh, harsh or like just kind of like ill you know, not ill intentioned, but ill executed.
4: I think it's about the motivations and the the motivation factor behind doing something and that's how I saw the carrot and stick so the carrots were the motivation factors that we were providing to team saying if you did about uh, did something right and if you thought about like how do you monitor something how do you add alerts in place and how do you make sure it's auto recoverable where possible and stuff then you don't have to worry about it right so uh, that is more of the motivation for the team to be like I don't Like I can be really proud about what I build and I don't have to think about it again. But at the same time, we know that every team has these deadlines to meet and uh, like there are product owners who would have their own feature sets to build. So it's that kind of scenarios where you actually still need the stick to help the teams be like, look, I mean, yes, we understand your pressures, but this is more important as well. And I did remember the quote and it was uh, slow down to speed up, which actually like, that was one of the tech principles we worked with. Basically, yes, you can go at 100 miles per hour today, but then if you don't build it in such a way that you have put those measures in place, then tomorrow you have to break and stop. But if you slowed down and went at say, 60 miles per hour, you're there for the long run and you would go on longer. So that's that's how I would yeah see some of the stuff.
3: Yeah, that is so true. We actually built a little project before Grafana, we built a project management tool called Pace for, and it was trying to get across that exact thing, which is that you feel great going at a thousand miles an hour, but... You do have, you know, there's important things to do along the way. And it's hard to retrofit a lot of this stuff. So it's, you know, thinking about it up front sometimes can save you. It's a bit like how you design for failure as well. Like, you know, in the perfect world, your system, all the messages flow perfectly and um, and there's no problems. But in reality, it's way more messy. Things fail. And so that uh, idempotency and things come into play where you, you may design expecting this is going to fail um go i do i write go code and go has error handling as a kind of explicit feature are values that are just returned as the second argument to functions and things like this um, and it, that frustrates a lot of people because you know they're used to exceptions or something that's just sort of automatic but it forces you to think about what's going to happen if this thing fails and that's great discipline to get into
4: and I think it's a myth to think that your system won't fail yeah like always build your system in such a way that it will fail it, yeah if it doesn't then you have a problem yeah. <laughs> so make yeah. sure you add those checks in place so when it mm. fails it can smoothly recover and all of those
3: yeah yeah and I know I know some companies that have that as part of the proper sort of testing approach is they'll literally things will break on purpose and You know, it's a first class concern that they have. And it is that thing of, yeah, don't, you know, of course, like, I don't know. Is it just ego that people think I'm I'm so good. I'll write this. It's going to be great. What's going on?
2: It can't be. Honestly, it can't be right. Like we all, (laughs) we've all known and experienced it enough. Yeah. Do you think?
3: I don't know. But the thing is. When I'm writing code and it doesn't work, I've it's it's shocking how quickly I'm like there's something wrong with the processor. <laughs> my the pro, the processor is not working or physics has changed. That's why I, I'll go to physics has changed before it's my fault. But turns out I just did a capital letter where I shouldn't have. <laughs>
4: I think uh, like I've been in teams where they do pairing and like those mobbing sessions and stuff and mm. um, like they have kind of helped in like sense checking people's egos a bit mm-hmm. and be like I'm not the best um, and when two people talk about it I think it does help think okay there is a reality that we live in and this is what you need to consider.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Is there anything that you would, like even in that, like you were saying before, that progression between like being in you know manual testing and then QA and then moving to SRE, was there any, was there like a moment where it clicked, where people started, I mean, they just started incorporating testing into, into the code, right? Do you see the same progression happening in observability to where there'll be some moment and some kind of click where it just becomes part of it as opposed to the separate thing that happens afterwards?
4: I have seen it work in some teams and like A lot of teams I've worked in are all autonomous teams, so they can basically build however they want using whatever technologies they want. What is often have teams like that is having some sort of guardrails, which actually says, and like also being aware that not all applications need the same level of checks and monitoring and all of these. So being aware that, okay, there is a level of criticality of my app. And if it is a highly critical app, then let me put all of the things in. And if it is a less critical app, in that case, you would just have like, maybe just a simple health check, that would be good enough. You don't need to go all all board. And one thing that we had uh, when I was working for FT was you always have at least a basic check on all your apps. Otherwise, like we used to get this service uh, operability score for our right. applications and the score used to go down as in when we didn't have some of these things in place. Uh, and that was like a nice measure where people thought about it from the beginning rather than as an afterthought about some of these. But what could happen in this kind of scenarios is people go all in and they just say, oh, I'm going to monitor everything, have all my logs go in. Like, you don't need to go all board on this. There's a limit to how much you need to monitor as well. And understanding the criticality of your app and then building your observability around that is probably something that teams should think about.
2: How would you, if a team was listening to this, right, and they were trying to understand the criticality of the app and then make decisions around it? Like, how would you, if you had them sitting in the room, how would you explain it and say, here, start here, do this?
4: I think it depends on the business criticality. And if it is a highly business critical application, which means if it went down for, say, more than 15 minutes, then we wouldn't be in business. Uh, If it's that kind of app, then you need to have your alerting in place, monitoring, uh, like the the right level of logging in place, uh, which actually gives us any of the audit records that actually show us what's happened with the applications uh, and then any sort of health check. So there's probably like two levels of monitoring that we should think about. One is the application level monitoring, and then there is the system level monitoring. So being able to figure out where the problem is soon enough is something very critical when it's a 15-minute recovery thing. But if it is an application that's less critical, then maybe just having the application-level monitoring is good enough where you could take longer to actually investigate, look into the locks, and actually figure out where the problem area is and stuff. So uh, I would suggest teams to think about how critical their app is, and that is something the business should... Like help them with, not something that the team just decides, oh, this is the most critical thing. Uh, and once the once you know the business criticality of something, then it is coming up with some sort of check saying, if it is a highly critical system, then we do both application as well as system uh, monitoring. Otherwise, just one of them based on your use cases and stuff. And like... Um, in the past i've spoken about like the use method and red method that we could use for these kind of things uh, like i prefer use and red method over the google's four signals it depends on what your teams needs are and what fits into your use cases Um, So you would use a red method, which is rate, error, and duration for every single application that you build. And it's very easy to see that in a microservice world where you have different kinds of applications, you have the same three parameters that you're measuring across all of them. So it actually helps the team analyze irrespective of if that belongs to your team or any other team. You just know where the problem is. Uh, And the same with systems side of things, you would go with like the use method, which is utilization, saturation, and errors. And you would do this for the CPU, disk, or network, and all of those different areas and you basically know where the problem is and it's easy to find out. I would say it is hard. It is. It takes time. So invest based on how much returns you would get on these uh, when you put these checks in. So th- th- that is something the teams should be mindful about when they are investing in monitoring or like alerting and stuff.
2: Is the primary counterbalance in your mind, the effort that it takes to keep this monitored well or is it also cost? Do you think about the cost of, of to operate or the back end?
4: Uh, It is the cost and and at the end of the day, it should be the cost to the business as in how much does having the system down cost us and you basically work backwards from there saying this, if this was down for 15 minutes, it would cost the business so much, Hmm. which means we as a team should be investing more time in actually getting the right amount of measures so we can solve the problem or find narrow down the problem quickly Uh, and like I would always focus on the business value rather than the team's individual product value and stuff but yeah uh, it depends on like if you were an internal system like like in one of the teams I was in we were building monitoring tools for other teams so we don't have real business value as such as our team but we were supporting teams that had like really high value systems. So that kind of meant that we had to think about the application level as well as system level monitoring on our systems and stuff.
1: This episode is brought to you by our friends at FireHydrant. FireHydrant is the reliability platform for every developer. Incidents, they impact everyone, not just SREs. They give teams the tools to maintain service catalogs, respond to incidents, communicate through status pages, and learn with retrospectives. What would normally be manual error-prone tasks across the entire spectrum of responding to an incident. They can all be automated in every way with FireHydrant. They have incident tooling to manage incidents of any type with any severity with consistency declare and mitigate incidents all from inside slack service catalogs allow service owners to improve operational maturity and document all your deploys in your service catalog Incident Analytics allow you to extract meaningful insights about your reliability over any facet of your incident or the people who respond to them. And at the heart of it all, incident run books, they let you create custom automation rules, convert manual tasks into automated, reliable, repeatable sequences that run when you want you can create Slack channels, Jira tickets, Zoom bridges instantly after declaring an incident. Now your processes can be consistent and automatic. The next step is to try it free. Small teams, up to 10 people, can get started for free with all Fire Hydrant features included. No credit card is required. Get started at FireHydrant.io. Again, FireHydrant.io.
3: I love that advice of pay attention to the value you're going to get from the effort that you put in. When I I like mono repos, mm. I'll just like to put that out there. I love mono repos, and the reason I like them is because you can have a pull request that has a unit test, some back end code, maybe some API changes, front end code in there too, hopefully with some front end tests maybe, and it's nice that that all gets applied to the system in one go. Does that also apply to like? this sort of field, the instrumentation of that? Should we be having those kinds of conversations at that point so that we kind of think about it as we go?
4: I would love to say yes, but I've not seen a team do it really well. So um, I can see the challenges of like when you have this monorepo and everyone's contributing to the same central repository, there is a challenge that the parameters that you would think about for your product and your monitoring systems might be different to what another team would be looking at. So mm. like, there is a challenge with how do you then look at this as a product that we we sell to customers? Like mm. you have to think about capability monitoring maybe rather than your individual product monitoring um, where you're thinking about what is the capability that I'm providing to the customer? And those should probably be things that we have at a central level and we do it as in when we we add new features we make sure we don't break the monitoring that we've got across the capability but on a single individual product team's perspective yeah i don't know what how much value it would add so it depends on that i guess so yeah i'm mm. sure have you seen it work uh, in in your teams or something
3: well we have at least the conversation when there's a pr for like a big feature we will chat about it and say like what you know what do we need like what do we need from this like what's going on here that later we're, mm. we're gonna need and it's that thing about be kind to your future selves so yeah we but but i don't know that we've got that right yet or anything you know because in a way we don't really know what's important up front necessarily so it's it, you know but but sometimes you do, and I like I like that there are guidelines that we can follow to give us a good foundation, and then of course we're going to have to fine tune it depending on our particular case.
4: I agree.
2: Yeah. All of this to me starts to distill down into right, like it's it's some amount of like if you are doing the centralized monitoring, right, or there's a level of that, right, and then you have to you have to communicate this down to these teams, and you have to get them to buy in, right? How do you, you know, what do you do that, or or even how would you suggest someone else do that well?
4: central teams pushing things is like, irrespective of it being monitoring or anything in general is really hard. And it should all always be driven by, like what I've seen work uh, really well is the ones that are driven by like value add to the individual teams itself. Uh, so as an example, when we were building this Amazon Linux, like a base plate image that everyone could apply and they can run their own EC2 instances. Uh, when they had this, uh, what we said we will do as part of it is we said you're going to get monitoring to, like, I think we were pushing logs to Splunk in that case. So you would get that feature for free. You would get authentication for free. You would get, uh, like, have those kind of things that you will get for free as part of whatever feature set you would give. Yeah. And that has often been a nice way to drive teams to be like, oh, yes, I like that and I will do it.
2: Right. Make it so easy that they can't, like, they would rather adopt it rather than then try and do it themselves.
4: Yeah, exactly. So uh, like another example that came to mind was uh, we had this central repository for like a CRM system, which uh, we had to enter all of our uh, system information. In, and and basically it was like a, because we had so many microservices, we had like a central system where we could go and query for any particular system with something called as the system code. And we would know if that system was live, was active who was working on it all of those information and what we did when we built this we we said if you put the right information in this then you would automatically have a dashboard that would show up Mm -hmm. only your team's monitoring in it that was like an incentive for teams to be like oh if I did this then I get my own dashboard let me do that Mm. so I think it's that showing intensive value beyond just what you want them to achieve out of it. Uh, That's how I've seen it work really well in teams. So yeah, you need to have some sort of carriage to actually get uh, people to move towards your, uh, your solutions and stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That's great. I think that applies to everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you make it easy and, and it's sort of a no brainer. And like one example of that is where we can, like if we've got APIs, we can just, instrument on those on the endpoints very easily in in a simple way usually with some middleware or something in the code and and there's lots of packages that do this so I i do quite like yeah i think and i think there's probably space for more things like that um more of that for for devs
4: yeah and i think it's the like i i would really like want to see central teams be more mindful about this, because Mm. as a central team, you're building these amazing tools. And at the end of it, like you kind of think, oh, if I put a documentation together and self-service, everyone's going to come and use it. But then each individual product teams have their own little agendas to work towards Mm. and their own, uh, like the product initiatives to uh, their own OKRs, all of those things. So this is like an extra bit of like cognitive load onto those teams, which they can avoid uh, if you were to do a lot more promotion within teams saying, if you did this, you would get a lot of benefits and it will take some of the risks that you have taken on yourself. And also it's that education piece of, you care about your product, we will help you care about your product. That's something to think about.
2: Yeah. Mm.
3: So what are some common mistakes that we make when we're trying to do this with the best intentions in the world we want to do this properly but are there there any things you see that people misunderstand or common mistakes common gotchas that you've seen
4: I think it's knowing how much is enough is like one of the things that I've often seen where there are teams who just put the basic thing available because it's there in a checklist somewhere and then they move on which is probably not the best for your product so it's being aware of the value of your product and like what is the life cycle that your product or the life journey that your product is going on. That is probably one of the things. The other thing that I have seen and I've struggled a lot with is like I mentioned about this use method and red method to actually build your dashboards. It's very hard to get like your network, network related monitoring, right? And your um, saturation for networks, like how do you, how do you do that? Uh, And get the wrong set of like I've seen myself doing having a wrong set of uh, (laughs) dashboards and um, alerting and wondering why this is going off every time something happens when it shouldn't have and stuff. So I think it's just like being okay to experiment and like continuously tinker your uh, monitoring and alerting as you go along is probably something that teams should be conscious that like it's not that you build it once and then it's, it's there it's there forever but there is a continuous evolution that happens with your monitoring I like how your feature sets go through that cycle you have to do the same with your observability side of things as well
2: yeah yeah as mac mac can i answer too um, um let me just check no <laughs> no oh come on <laughs> brutal but
3: <laughs> please i'd love to hear what you okay think, of
2: so but nana you were talking about the value like derived right and focusing on that for the customers mm-hmm. that i do think that's that's a common gotcha where you build all these tools and you're like we did it we did it like it's all there all you have to do is this right and i think the common gotcha is forgetting that you need to deliver something that someone could just adopt easily like you said like it is a, a version of i was thinking like car parts right and then like or Legos, I guess, but like dropping off like a collection of car parts mm-hmm. and being like There you go and you're like the, you know like I want to go I want to drive right like i don't like I get that it can get there, but you haven't helped me really at all and there's you know and you call a lift, and that's where the metaphor I think breaks but <laughs> um, but it, I do think there's some version of that too, right like stopping short of actually delivering the value to the person consuming it as opposed mm-hmm. to just dropping a collection of pieces that can work, but they have to do the last the last mile.
3: Yeah, well, that, in in a way, th- what helps that definitely is going to be this: you build it, you run it. You know, we're not throwing this thing over the wall to someone for someone else to operate, which I know that actually lots of lots of people do still do that, mm-hmm. and there's and there's a disconnect when you are yourselves kind of running it. You're the customer of that data, so. A bit like when you're dogfooding software, if, you write, if you're building dev tools like we do at Grafana, we dogfood a lot. Like we'll use our tools a lot internally. That's how they're so good, frankly, like mm-hmm. because they've been, you know, it's not like we're imagining the user of this. We are the user of it. And I think that makes a big difference, doesn't it?
4: Yeah. And also, I think like um, one of the comments I've heard a few people say about is build your code in such a way that you can debug it. At three in the morning. Uh, I mean, doesn't mean that you have to do it every day. But Mm. if it breaks at a time that you're not fully in focus, you still can get to it easily. And that is something which I think, yeah, people should be thinking about while building their products and stuff.
3: That's that's such a great point, I think, and that leads me on to this next question which is around like drills do we should we be doing like drills at 3 a.m and living that experience to see what it's like
4: three o'clock is probably taking the mickey out of people if you were doing (laughs) (laughs) drills.
2: do people do drills i guess they do right but it's probably not it's it's not common is it
4: i have seen it done um And I think it's a very artificial environment where the drills happen. So one of the things that we did when I was at the FT was we had this incident drills. So basically you emulate an incident and then you go about with the team. How do you go about actually figuring out where the problem is? Hmm. So you start with like which alert it was and then look at the traces and then look at what the logs were and like you go through the whole cycle of it. It was a way to like ease the whole out of our support that we had within the organization
5: Mm, yeah but
4: at the same time there were a lot of people who were not very keen of this like because it's an artificial environment Mm. um, people felt like that is not reality so why do it that's
3: because you didn't do it (laughs) 3am
4: yeah maybe that
2: I think there's like a, a touch of maturity in actually embracing drills, like whether or not it's artificial, right? Like it's that idea like, Oh, this is, this is artificial. This is dumb. You know, we don't want to do this. It's not going to be like this in real life. And then you, I think like you think about any kind of, I don't know, like either, you know, team environment, or any kind of like practice that you need to do because it's more than just debugging the code, right? It's like everything is interconnected, right? And you, you want to, you want to be able to do some of these things more than once. So that way every time doesn't feel like you're the first time on stage. And it does it feels like you just want to be like hey like like what's the what's the right analogy to make if you want to convince someone to actually practice <laughs> i don't know
3: yeah it definitely it's not the same it's not the same because you know it's a drill like unless unless you're doing something where you literally you break something and and it's not really broken or or maybe it is and you're you know doing something kind of that seems a bit extreme but yeah you are it is going to feel different. But that still doesn't mean that there's not plenty of stuff to practice and, Mm. you know, like practicing your when you practice driving, you know, there's an instructor next to you watching everything. That's a very strange situation to be in, but but you still are like, you still move the steering wheel and do the, I don't don't drive, but there's a gear stick, I know that, and (laughs) a horn. (laughs)
2: <laughs> you press the horn to go
3: <laughs> yeah horn to go and then you leave that on so everyone knows you're there i do because they <laughs> need to get out of the way
4: uh, i think there's also like a value in like this the other way of looking at drills is like shadowing. And uh, when there's an actual incident, not not having just one or two people involved in it. Yes, it might be the most critical thing, but having more people just listen in and see what's happening and like just be there sometimes helps them understand, oh, this is how I would go about solving this, looking at those people. So yeah, I think it's, it's a mixture of drills and a shadowing maybe that could work in teams. Mm-hmm.
5: I
2: even think yesterday, and I, I realized why i'm all fired up about this yeah i parse through it um yesterday we did i visited the sales team and they were doing these workshops and they were doing radical candor right which is like all about like feedback and giving feedback and getting feedback and and being able to to do it well and then you break out and you're like okay yeah check 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 i get it i get it I get it like i could totally do that and then you break out into these triads and then you practice it, mm-hmm. right? And there's a part of you that goes like, "Oh, I don't, I don't need to do this." Like, I, I get it, I get the concepts, and then you try and do it, and you're like, mm-hmm. and you kind of feel yourself like places that you know are a little bit creaky, or you know, maybe you don't quite get it as much. So I think, I think it's actually where I'm fired up to where even if it is artificial, mm-hmm. right? Some of those, some of those joints might be, you know, either rusty or creaky or, or don't articulate well until, and you don't realize that until you do it.
3: I think that was a rubbish point.
2: we we can cut that cut cut (laughs) cut
4: Uh, i think it's also uh, like a good exercise to do just to test your like documentation and stuff and like if it's if your documentation is up to scratch and like when you've written something you've written with, with good intent but when someone's actually following it does it make sense is something that the drills can actually capture and stuff so yeah there's more than one benefit of having drills i think
1: This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb. Find your most perplexing application issues. Honeycomb is a fast analysis tool that reveals the truth about every aspect of your application in production. Find out how users experience your code in complex and unpredictable environments. Find patterns and outliers across billions of rows of data and definitively solve your problems. And we use Honeycomb here at Change. that's why we welcome the opportunity to add them as one of our infrastructure partners. In particular, we use Honeycomb to track down CDN issues recently, which we talked about at length on the Kaizen edition of the Ship It podcast. So check that out. Here's the thing. Teams who don't use Honeycomb are forced to find the needle in the haystack. They scroll through endless dashboards playing whack a mole. They deal with alert floods, trying to guess which one matters. And they go from tool to tool to tool playing sleuth, trying to figure out how all the puzzle pieces fit together. It's this context switching and tool sprawl that are slowly killing teams effectiveness and ultimately hindering their business. With Honeycomb, you get a fast, unified, and clear understanding of the one thing driving your business. Production. With Honeycomb, you guess less and you know more. Join the swarm and try Honeycomb free today at honeycomb.io slash changelog. Again, honeycomb.io slash changelog. And by Acuity, a new platform that brings fully managed Argo CD and enterprise services to the cloud or on-premise. The platform is a versatile Kubernetes operator for handling cluster deployments the GitOps way. And I'm here with Kelsey Hightower, angel investor and advisor to Acuity. Kelsey, why are you excited about Argo CD and what's happening here with Acuity? Acuity.
5: When I think about Argo CD, it represents the transition from traditional CI/CD. You know, you have a big server with a built-in workflow engine, and you can only do what that system can do, whether it's Jenkins, whether it's Spinnaker, you name it. Those things are tend to be all-in solutions, and they're all predicated on having like their own built-in workflows, UIs, and ways of doing things. And then when I think about kind of the Argo CD, that whole open source movement kind of backed by the ideas we saw in the Kubernetes world, which was each of those steps is nothing more than just a step in a workflow. And after 10, 20 years of doing CI/CD, how best to represent those steps? And it turns out this whole container thing is probably the best way to have little snippets of logic sit at each of those steps in the workflow, and then you can kind of exchange them and share them to build any pipeline you want. So the way to look at this is Kubernetes has never had a workflow engine or tool. And so when you think about kind of Argo workflow or Argo CD, which is kind of a specialized workflow, kind of attacking the how do you roll out software problem, that's the way I would think about it. So if you're all in on Kube and you like the Kubernetes ecosystem, then you kind of have a choice of workload types. And I would probably just say it's another workload type you can put in your toolbox. So if you got something that can benefit from a workflow engine and reuse the logic that you already have in containers, it kind of feels like the perfect fit, the
1: perfect fit. All right. Thanks, Kelsey. Well, the next step is to head to acuity.io changelog. They are inviting all of our listeners to join the closed beta again, acuity.io slash changelog links are in the show notes.
3: Niana, you mentioned earlier like this idea that you know if you do too much you can you can overdo it and end up with basically alert fatigue just alerts going off what what do we mean really by alert fatigue
4: i'm going to give an example so people can relate to it um i was in one of the teams where we used to get close to 1500 alerts on a weekly basis Ooh. and uh, this was for like we we had around 80 odd microservices, so it wasn't like just one microservice or anything. But then my team was like three people looking at this. And it's at that point, which you realize that are they actually looking at this thing or is it all just being ignored as uh, like just noise, let's just ignore it. Mm. Uh, and I think it's that point where you're, you start ignoring your alert is where you've gone to that stage where you can't take any more alerts so you're you're fatigued with the whole alerting itself and i think it's it's better to have less alerts for the most important things rather than have too many and try to just uh, like filter it out one of the exercises we did when we had these alert fatigues and like thousand odd alerts is we consciously stopped some of the alerts to see who will start shouting. Mm-hmm. And it happened that more than 50% of these alerts when we turned off, no one actually shouted at us. So it was like, was that even important? Mm. Going through that exercise on a regular basis where you you see if you're ignoring more than at least 10% of your alerts, then go go and do something about it. Maybe turn them off and it, no one will care. Uh, and it's uh, I think teams need to be conscious that it's okay to miss a faulty alert compared to missing out on a real alert, which would have cost us like millions of pounds or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So I think it's being careful to put the right alerts in and stopping at that and not just going overboard with, oh, uh, let's take an example that we have Grafana in our systems and we have alerting with Grafana. I have this tool so I can put as many uh, alerts as possible, not going wild with it, but actually like knowing where to stop that, that that's how i would describe this whole alert fatigue and it's with time it does happen with teams so it's it's worth going back and auditing them and making sure you uh, keep them clean as uh, like as much as possible
2: i wonder if you could do a um like what what would be like the equivalent of a bug bounty for alerts like how do you incent mm. people to go and and clean those up and, oh. and celebrate being like they're gone
4: oh, that's hard. Uh, what I've done in this is actually gone and turned them off myself and been like, let's see who's going to shout.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. um,
4: <laughs> and like when no one shouts, you know that they're not important enough. So that is something that I've done, but I don't know how you would. Mm, interesting. Do you have any ideas?
3: We need some analytics, don't we, on the, on the usage of it, really? Mm-hmm. Then we can say, you know, no one's looked at these alerts for mm-hmm. ages you know, or put you could put a specific time on it if you want. I don't know. I don't want to design the application now, but yeah, something like that. I mean, I like the idea that you you should go back and look at them and and dis- and pay attention to whether you still need them and things. This is a little bit like how in GitHub. Like or in your project management tool, if you have loads of stuff in there, most of it's just getting ignored. Yeah, and it get and and in a way, it it, it creates this also this idea that you you're so far away from being done, which we of course are, but you don't you know it, it sort of reinforces that. So it is that thing of if there's just so much there, it stops being useful. I like the idea that does it take experience though? Do you think to know what's useful, what's not? Does that
4: It could do. I mean, the more you see these things, you will realize where it's important, where it's useful, and where not. Mm. Uh, And this is where I've seen some of the junior engineers and teams struggle, which is like, they start worrying about every single alert that comes on Slack, or whichever is your preferred tool. And they're like, Oh, what do I do? I've got this alert, it might be my change but it might not be related to your change at all. So mm. I think it's it's something that the team should do on a regular basis as like a team activity or something like that, where they yeah. uh, sanity check their uh, alerts. Uh, one way we used to do is uh, any alert that we actually did anything with, we started putting some, uh, everything, all of our alerts used to come to Slack. So we used to start p- putting some emojis on it. Mm. So we know which of them were actually things that mattered. And like o- on a weekly basis, we were like, oh, there were 10 of these, which we did nothing with. So maybe we can get rid of it. So that like it's very hard to get that feedback cycle on alerts I've found.
2: Matt, you need to collect the emojis and then feed it back. We are, is the we, API going the other way on emojis?
3: We do that for uh, in the Grafana incident tool, but I need, to, I need to tell the on-call team about that idea. That's such yeah. a good idea. You that could, is kind of fun. You could collect that data and literally, yeah, you you then, yeah.
2: you, oh, Hello. You're like, what does dancing penguin mean?
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it means it's cool. <laughs> um, who who owns that idea legally? I don't know because I do I feel because like, I- yeah. I was <laughs> that.
4: That's a good idea. Solved. <laughs>
2: I wanna. I wanted to quickly touch on as you progress in your career, right? Often you're going to. Walk into new organizations, right? And you're you're new to Lego, and everything today is just reinforced the thought that we had this, or that I was kind of noodling on this morning, which is all these things are true, all these methods are like are kind of proven, and in you know in some ways like it has nothing to do with the technology and everything to do with the landscape that you're walking into, and then then you have to figure out how how and what you introduce. And I guess I'm curious, like how much about open source tooling makes it easier to transfer into a new organization? And even just how much, like how do you approach going into a new org, having this experience, but then also not understanding how everything fits together?
4: Mm. I mean, this is so relatable. Uh, I'm going through this now. Yeah. Like given I've been in the Lego group for only three months uh, and I care about monitoring and like, in general sustainability of products quite a lot. Um, I've been looking at different teams doing this and thinking, okay, this team has this Grafana dashboard to do it. This other team has New Relic and they're doing something with it. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I I was lucky that I was in a team that was building monitoring tools as a service, like providing monitoring tools as a service to other teams. So for me, it was like easier to catch on to what is happening in different areas within the Lego group. But I think what I fall back to is always think about what are the core aspects of, Uh, Monitoring. So it's things like logging, metrics, uh, alerting, tracing, so notifications, some of those core things. Mm -hmm. And it is looking at those aspects and thinking, how is the team solving these problems? And where the team have done, used a tool, uh, I have often just endorsed what they've got and looked into it. But where they haven't, I have often suggested open source tools in those use cases because two reasons. One, it's easy to get started and get going with it. You don't need any licensing and all of those kind of challenges that come with mm-hmm. a proprietary tool. Uh, and on the, other, on the other side, there's a lot of community that can help you getting started with the tool as well. So I think those are reasons why I would prefer Like when suggesting to teams, I would prefer open source technologies when it comes to this space. I mean, as an example, when I was doing some experimentation for my own personal project, I could have gone with one of the tools that was already available in the organization when I was working. But then I was like, Mm -hmm. I mean, if I left this organization, I can't take that tool with me. So yeah. I, it's better to have it on more open source tools. Uh, I mean, in that case, I used. I think it was Graphite and Grafana that I used in that use case. Choice. But it is that while there is transferable skills within the organization, like uh, as an example, the Lego technology. I think we have around two hundred or two fifty odd teams in it, and if these people within the teams have to move between each other. Uh, speaking the common language is quite important. Uh, Mm -hmm. And having that community outside of the Lego group who can help us with this is quite important. And I feel like that is where the power of using open source technologies comes from. And I mean, I have come from an organization where we were a very big advocate of open source technology. So uh, I probably would be singing the song of let's go all in on open source.
3: (laughs) So I'm interested then what's next, What what's coming up and how do you keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on?
4: Um, I often think about like less about tools and more about the capabilities that we really need within an organization. And like, it could be anything from like, uh, what do we need in terms of system infrastructure side of things or like the topic for today, uh, more around observability, so around observability, um, like. I often think the capabilities that we need are logging metrics and like an organization can invest in having multiple tools for the same thing, or it could be one tool that does all of it. It depends on the kind of organization you are. So I have often leaned towards like what's happening in like the DevOps communities or like in the monitoring communities uh, to actually get insights from them saying, "Oh, there's," I think two years ago was when I was introduced to uh, Loki, which is the logging tool, and I got super excited about this mainly because we w- we were using another logging tool within the organization which was super expensive and like do we use this super expensive tool which has some belts and whistles, which we don't use or can we go with something like Loki uh, and it is finding out capabilities that you care about and looking at what is happening in that particular uh, market and stuff. Within the monitoring space l- logging I think my uh, preference within logging would be Like if you are in the AWS land, then something like AWS CloudWatch or like Loki, Splunk. These are a couple of uh, tools that I have used in the logging space. You can use the same kind of tools for metrics as well, but there are better tools for metrics like Prometheus is really good or Graphite, which again, like... I have uh, spent quite a lot of my career in graphite, so I probably have a preference in this space and Mm -hmm. see what innovation is happening in the graphite space. But yeah, uh, Prometheus is probably another one which is really good in the time series database uh, side of things. And then it's also to do with like, your metrics aggregation so you have all of these different metrics and logs and everything that you're collecting but how do you visualize them together so you need something around the visualization layer which is where like grafana or like kibana one of these kind of tools would come in handy and stuff Uh, and finally i think it's the whole you're doing all of this because you want to alert things so what do we have in the alerting space thinking about like do i use like slack notifications do i use email notifications smss pager duty whatever uh, and it's just making sure you understand the capabilities of what you're trying to solve and finding core products in each of those areas and it could be the same product that solves everything or it could be different products. And yeah, I tend to lean towards communities and uh, conferences to actually figure out what is hot in the market and in places. Yeah.
2: And what I really like about this is, like, that's all kind of like through the lens release the way that you think about it as like, what are the problems that you're trying to solve for the for the customer, right? And then what is the value that you're trying to provide? So even at that point, like, all of these could become sort of like, it's not interchangeable, but you can solve the problem in 400 different ways right and and i just really like that you start with it feels like you start with that approach to say like what do you actually need to do what do you need to protect and then figure out how to do it and i like that that feels like the most transferable (laughs) skill between company to company
4: yeah and also like within teams when there are so many different teams and every team's autonomous to use their own tools and stuff then like i think you need the core principles to be the same irrespective of what tools they're using. And th- that's where I find having the the capabilities and the principle layer uh, set right would help teams figure out what is the best tool for their use cases and stuff.
3: Well, that's amazing. Lo- loads of great practical advice there. And you yourself have spoken at c- conferences on this subject as well. I noticed that people can, fi- we'll put, put one in the show notes for people interested, but you can also Google uh, or use any search engine. Other search engines are available. Uh, you can duck, <laughs> duck, go and find... Uh, <laughs> Just for your name and, and you'll, yeah, Nayana Shetty. Well, um, unfortunately that is the time. That's all the time we have, I'm afraid. Thank you so much. Uh, Matt Tolback was here, weren't you, Matt?
2: Uh, I was, is there anything that you wanna to say to your future self, just before we go?
4: Oh, I love that. Um, mm. I think it is, you don't have to solve all problems today. There are things that you can leave for the future to solve. <laughs> That is what I would say to my like, future self.
3: Mm. <laughs> It'd be more useful if we could send messages to our past selves, though, because we could like, t- tell them what the stocks are going to do in that. No,
2: because we know what happens, right? The oh, space-time yeah. continuum, um, it's just not good. Biff
3: gets it, doesn't he?
2: Biff, he does.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we won't do it then. We won't do it then, Matt. You've, uh, y- yeah, okay, well... <laughs> Yes, thank you so much. Um,
4: yeah, I've enjoyed it. I mean, this is a topic that I enjoy speaking in general. So yeah,
3: i are, are you speaking at any other conferences coming up, or will you?
4: Uh, no, because I'm new to the organisation, I'm just like stepping away from speaking so that I can gather some insights from the organisation before I start speaking. So yeah, none.
3: But the videos of your past self are still available, of course. <laughs> so I do recommend people check them out. Yeah. Thank you so much to Matt Toback and our special guest, Nayana Shetty. I've been Matt Raya, still am. And thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time on Grafana's Big Tent. Have you learned that? Have you learned how to play the riff? I I have not yet, but I have time. You should, you, should yeah, it, you should let it. I'm
2: going to on the airplane to uh, to Whistler. I'm going to take the bass out. <laughs> <laughs> my, my seatmate won't be terribly happy with that. But <laughs> Please put your seat backs and basses
3: away. We are coming into land. You could <laughs> you could do upright in a seat, maybe. Oh yeah, you'd have to get a ticket for the for like a double bass. Boom, 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 boom. But you could also do like Seinfeld links with it. It could be, like uh, make a little joke, a zinger to the staff. Just do a bit of bass. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be ba-dum. nice.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: If you enjoyed this conversation, maybe subscribe at bigtent.fm. And if you're a longtime listener of GoTime, share the show with a friend. It's the best way to pay it forward and spread the love. Also, don't forget to check out Changelog Plus Plus, that's our membership program with a bunch of perks. Support our work, make the ads disappear, and hey, we just added a free pack of stickers to everyone who joins. Learn more at changelog.com slash plus plus. Thanks again to Fastly for seeding for us, to the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder for the always fresh beats, and to you for listening. We appreciate you. Stay tuned for Dead Program's time travel inspired guest appearance. It's coming up next time on Go Time.